Okay, so you ready to start? Mary. Awesome. All right, hello everyone. Of course, we're back for another episode of Is This Adulthood? And Katie's not with us. She's really busy with her current job in film and television, but she's given me the blessing to continue with the podcast and interviewing uh, amazing and interesting guests such as Taylor Blixt, who is a friend of mine since university. So we've probably known each other for like eight years. I would say 2012. I, yeah, I think that's yeah. a good call. Yeah. Wow. So it's been a while, but <laughs> we really reconnected, I would say like two years ago. Um, mm -hmm. Taylor had shared a really impactful post on social media, which I'm sure he'll talk about here. And he's an advocate for mental health and men's mental health uh, also specifically because you don't hear a lot about that. Yeah, I'm really grateful to have you on the show. I think you're going to share some great insights and uh, welcome. Thank you, Ryan. I... I mean, I'm very excited. Podcasts are something I've thought about doing, but haven't. So it's cool to have you as a friend and have reconnected to like have this platform. Yeah, if you don't mind sharing your journey uh, with mm -hmm. schooling and your career, as well as your struggles and successes with mental health, I think that that would be a great start. Awesome. Uh, and yeah, it's all about the ebbs and flows, like you said, the struggles, but then successes. And, you know, sometimes. A lot of the time when we're in that bad space, we can't really think that it's going to get better. And there's always that cliche of it gets better, but I, I do truly believe that. Um, and it can be hard, you know, and so for myself, you know, you and I met at Western University, a big university, very competitive. I did medical sciences, so I was in the science program. I thought I was going to be a neurosurgeon, kind of like going into, you know, first year science killing it, getting really good grades. And prior to my second year, you know, there was a, a breakup. There was other things that happened into my life. I did a medical volunteer trip in Costa Rica and Nicaragua, which was very impactful, very insightful. But also, you know, I recognized that I was quite naive growing up in North America. And the things I saw, I only figured out later were traumatizing to me. And, you know, just kind of seeing a very unfair, unjust world and not knowing what I can do to help fix it because my, I always grew up trying to, you know, wanting to get into the healthcare field because I've always cared about, you know, treating others and helping them. And so when I know that played a role in terms of me kind of like getting depression in my second year of undergrad, because it was the summer right before that. And then at the same time I was broken up and, you know, relationships come and go, but you know, it can be hard. And also my family dog of 14 and a half years passed away the November, mm. right? A second year. So as they say, it was a perfect storm. Yeah. And you know, that's when my depression first started. And I am very, very lucky and grateful to have such a wonderful mother who told me that, you know, Mental health, physical health, it's one in one. You know, we scrape our knee, you know, or like break a bone, we got to go see the medical doctor to get it fixed. Or, you know, if we're kind of like confused and maybe stressed or anxious, we should go see, you know, someone else to talk about it, a psychologist. But that stigma that exists in our society made me think that if I was to see a psychologist, that makes me less than. But mm -hmm. I was you know, my mom was very supportive and 
patient and did encourage me to see a psychologist. So I had, I did start seeing one in my second year. And I remember my first appointment, I just cried. I had so, so much emotions built up because, you know, I was living in a house with five other guys. Guys don't talk about emotions. Uh, Going through everything I was going through, I, I didn't have anyone to talk to about it. So you know, it was about six months into my depression that I see, saw the psychologist for the first time. And it really helped me just release. And, you know, psychologists, therapists, they're there to not tell you what to do. They're there to listen and be yeah. a non-judgmental space. And, you know, I was very grateful for that. So that's kind of like the beginning of my journey. And I mean, you know, I've, I've shared many things with you, but I'll kind of jump ahead to three years later. Because through my depression and seeing my psychologist, again, my mom introduced me to someone who practiced, it was shiatsu massage therapy and acupuncture, but she also did something called Reiki, which is a Japanese laying of hand technique. It's an Eastern medicine type of technique for, you know, stress uh, reduction, relaxation. And it is hard for some people to conceptualize energy medicine but me coming from a science background, I like to think about it at the anatomical level of the atom is all the atom is, is it's this circle that has electrons flying around in it, but the electrons are the only matter in it. So I always like to say, you know, each atom is actually only 1% matter because it's only made up of those electrons, but because they're moving so fast, it takes up that space. So I like to say we're, one percent matter and we're 99 percent energy taylor i love when you talk science to me (laughs) (laughs) i try to make it digestible i try my best it's good um i noticed that you have a tattoo there and uh the semicolon and i know that that has a lot of meaning especially for people that have dealt with uh, mental health issues, depression, and um, even has, you know, a suicide awareness element to it. I was wondering if you feel comfortable talking about what's behind that tattoo. Well, I got it three years later in 2015. So my depression started in 2012. And three years later, after meeting this Reiki master and having Reiki done to me, and every time I had it done, I felt good for, you know, 21 days or so. And then the depression mm-hmm. would kind of come back. And so there's different levels of Reiki and Reiki level one, everyone can learn and that's doing Reiki to yourself. And I realized three years after having going to see her and having treated that it's my turn. I need to be kind of self-sufficient. And I took a course between my third and fourth year, summer of 2015 with her. It's a weekend course. It was myself, three other people, one man who was in his sixties. He was a retired cop. His wife had died of cancer and he for the last five ten years being widowed is on a spiritual journey Uh, the other two were women in their 30s like a social worker and someone else so and i was a 22 year old boy who Mm -hmm. also was going through something with my reiki master and so it was a weekend course learning level one and the next day is level two which is doing reiki to others and because it did so much for me that's why i kind of felt like you know I want to be able to give it back. And so this tattoo was, I got two to three weeks after I finished my Reiki level two. And I think it was around 2013 ish that like the semicolon campaign kind of came out. And for those of you that don't know, 
about the semicolon campaign because it was kind of early 2010s. It's not really around as much anymore, but yeah. a semicolon is used in a sentence when the author chooses to continue the sentence when they could have ended it. So it's all about, you know, recognizing people that continued their life when they could have ended it, you know, for suicide awareness. And for me, I thought that I wanted to have it on my wrist because I wear my heart on my sleeve. Mm. Uh, you know, I want to reduce the stigma. I want to talk about it. So that's why I got it there. And that was, uh, that was, that was a big part of my journey. And that, that, you know, my post kind of came out, it got a lot of attraction and stuff, but I was, I was just happy to share being as honest and open as I could. So yeah, it was, it was life changing at that point. And you know, there's been a lot more of the last five years too. We'll, we'll get into that, but I'll let you go for a bit because I'm talking so much. No, no, I think it's great. <laughs> and uh, if, if you're comfortable talking about it, like what, what was in that mm-hmm. post? Like what, what did you reveal yeah. to people? Because uh, I mean, as long as you're comfortable with it, but that was the first time that I feel like I'd seen someone, uh, you know, a male specifically who yep. uh, from the outside looks like he has everything going for him right like good looking smart like i think at that point you were maybe you weren't a western grad but you're gonna be a western grad when this came out you would have been just graduated western i would have been going into my fourth year but and i was a part of the student council like student council you know a soft team like you know the first three years but it was the fourth year when i kind of took a step back from all that and i'm like you know i've been so involved and i've been putting my energy out so much that that's what kind of took all of it away right so getting this the reiki it helped me kind of realize i need to kind of look start to look inwards yeah and the, it was the first time to see someone reveal so much i found on facebook who is in such a position of being almost like a public persona right like exactly like you said you were really involved with the university and you were mm-hmm. really involved with school and i know you grew up playing sports and yep. i just I hadn't seen it to that level before that. I mean, now you see a lot more athletes coming out and talking about, you know, concussions and mental health and things that may be happening with like hazing and the effects mm-hmm. of that. And so I think, but at this time, you didn't see it that much. You didn't see that many men talking about mental health. It's, it's starting to grow a little bit. I mean, there's still a long ways to go, but if you don't mind, like, diving a little bit more deep into that post, what was behind it yeah. and what gave you the courage to come out and say that? Because like, you know, at that time, that wasn't the popular thing to do. And, and yeah, and Facebook and social media, we could have a whole other podcast yeah. about, you know, the psychology and all that stuff. And one thing my psychologist said was get off Facebook. You know, it's a highlight reel of people's lives because, you know, people don't like to share the negative things. And yeah. so, because, you know, I had done Reiki and I felt this confidence, right, of like, I think it's time for me to share my story. And then it was a picture of me with my tattoo. The picture for the post was me right after I got the tattoo. And if you go back to that post, the one side of me, there's like a darkness in the room. And then the other side of me, there's actually the light. Oh, did you plan it that way or did that just happen? Not naturally? at all. That's no. how the lighting of the picture happened. Kind of like two wow. sides. Wow. Like So anyway, in that post, it was a fairly long post, but I, I wanted to try and like stomp the stigma is what my, you know, mission for that post was trying to do because that's what this is trying to do. And, you know, what 
you and I are trying to do with this podcast, right? Yeah. And it's a constant work. And no matter what, you know, we can't, you know, we can always work towards, you know, stomping the stigma, but it's, it's constant. It's going to be lifelong. And that's just, that's just the way it is. But yeah, so the post was sharing my story of how people can seem like they have everything going on on the outside. Like you said, like that was kind of your perception of me. And I talked about that. And then I talked about, you know, the struggles I've been through, the depression I had, and just trying to be as open and honest. And then at the end, just kind of saying like, I'm doing this because like, I want to talk about it. Like, I want to start this conversation. Like, we have Bell Let's Talk. We have things that we do. Yeah. But, you know, there's always room for more. So that was kind of like the post, the whole kind of like mission behind it of me trying to tell my story, but also trying to give insight of like, hey, you guys might have thought, you know, because I'm smiling, I'm always laughing, I'm a very extrovert, I'm social. From the outside looking in, it can seem, but I've actually been dealing with major depressive disorder the last three years. And that's the realism and people go through this stuff. And, and there's so many people that maybe don't even find out, right? Cause they're not, yeah. they're not willing to go to a doctor or talk about it. And they may think that, Oh, it's just something wrong with them. And it's like, you know, our mental health one-to-one with our physical health. And when we mm-hmm. get confused, when we get stuck, when we start getting maybe stressed more than possible, maybe it's a sign that we need to start, you know, maybe talk about it. And yeah. it's as simple as that. hundred <laughs> percent. And I'm, I'm glad that you did that because it opened up the conversation. Like I remember the comments going uh, like it was, it was interesting to see how many people were commenting on that post and um, you know, you had a lot of support. It was a lot. And you probably even had like people reaching out privately too that had never. I did. Reveal I did. I had a, anything like I had that. a lot of private messages. Uh, yeah, I, it, 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 it was really good, but this totally leads into my next chapter in my story. Yeah. Be, because learning Reiki, all this stuff, and the post and helping people, I started giving my energy out again. Yeah. Because I thought I was good. I thought, okay, three years. Now I learned Reiki. Now I can start helping people, but you know, it's all about the balance. It's all about knowing. And so in my, uh, going into my fifth year of my undergrad, uh, what happened was I actually started to have a manic episode and I didn't know that was happening because for years I was depressed. And so mm. it wasn't until years later in uh, February, 2018, I was diagnosed with bipolar type one, but it was because the reason why it took so long to get that diagnosis. And this is very common is that people who have bipolar are usually depressed a lot of the time. And so when they get that manic stage, which is feeling grandiose you have godlike ideations you know i thought i was going to hear the world mental health with my reiki powers kind of thing it was very manic very illogical but it was the first time in years that i felt good and i felt this energy so why would i question it so it was only the people on the outside like my parents and my family that noticed a difference that you know in november of 2015 i was admitted into a psych ward at oakville trafalgar hospital and you know, that, that can take a toll on anyone's psyche. You know, they, 
they diagnosed me with a drug-induced psychosis because during my manic episode, I started getting into, you know, more drugs, like cocaine. But years later, when I saw my psychiatrist that diagnosed me with bipolar, she said, well, yes, you were doing cocaine and that can cause mania, but it was during your manic episode that you increased the intake. So, yeah, yeah. you know, Western medicine, the doctors kind of misdiagnosed me. And so they're like, no, you have major depressive disorder. And this was just a drug induced psychosis. So they let me go. And off I went thinking I still have depression in 2015. I went back on antidepressants and for me, I'd been on three, four different kinds of antidepressants from like SSRIs to other ones. None of them ever worked. I always had the kind of the negative side effects. I always didn't feel myself, right? At the, at the mm-hmm. best that I felt with an antidepressant was that I was numb and that's not me. And, yeah. and you know, and so right now, I'm in naturopathic medical school. I'm going into my third year. I completely support prescription drugs. I currently am taking a Lamotrigine. It's an anti-seizure, but it's for my, for my bipolar. So I support prescription drugs 100%. I just think that a lot of the time, maybe we don't have the right one. And it, it, it is a diff, it, it's a difficult system. It's hard to, you know, oh, I'll, let's give you this one. Let's try it out. And if it doesn't work, but you know, you got to try it out for at least six weeks, a lot of the time for it to start working. So like that person could be going through depression and not feel good for six weeks. And there's, there's a lot, but not to say that I support antidepressants, I support anti-anxiety, but for someone with bipolar, and this is something I learned years later, is that antidepressants actually worsen it. So because mm. I was misdiagnosed for so many years and I was diagnosed with depression and they kept giving me antidepressants, they weren't working because truly that wasn't what I had. And yeah, yeah, it was, it took me, it was six years of a misdiagnosis until I got like the proper diagnosis. And that is a journey and a toll on the mental health, like in and of itself. But I can say that when I was finally diagnosed with bipolar and got off the antidepressants that I was taking on the time, weaned off them, and then weeks later, started slowly taking the medication I am now, which is specifically for seizures as well as bipolar, that I started feeling like myself again. And oh, wow. that was the summer of 2018. That was before coming back, starting my first year in naturopathic medical school. And uh, it was it was like life changing kind of like being able to have a proper diagnosis being like okay this is what I have and now let's move forward and you know I had the stigma in my mind of like bipolar that seems more extreme than depression or anxiety yeah and it was a little hard to get that diagnosis at first but my psychiatrist told me there's lawyers, there's doctors, there's all these successful people with the same diagnosis, entertainers. And it's all about getting that self-awareness, you know, getting the proper medication, diet, whatever you need to balance it out. Because, you know, life isn't over when you get diagnosed with a mental health disorder. It just, I think it's a gift because it allows you to move forward and maybe not feel as stuck as you once were before. I mean, even going back to the fact that when you had to have been, uh, you know, in the psych ward at the time, which must have been yeah. traumatizing in a way, mm-hmm. um, 
the fact that they were placing it on being drug induced. But at the same time, it's like, well, maybe you were taking certain drugs because of, you know, what was going on in your mind, right? Mm-hmm. In some way to almost self, self-medicate, self right? Yeah. And there, and there has been a lot of self-medication in my past, for sure. And I think a lot of people do that, including a yep. lot of men. And you see it yep. with sometimes with alcoholism, right, as well. And I think a lot of people maybe numb the pain without even realizing the root of that pain, which could be an imbalance of the brain. You know, like if someone had a broken bone, they would be treated in the hospital and be on some kind of treatment plan, on some kind of rehabilitation plan, whatever it would take to get them back to their normal. That's what would happen. And I feel like with mental health is like the fact that you even had to, um, you said it took six, six six years. years. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Six years. And the fact that it took that long Mm -hmm. in and of itself may be a problem. Right, because for all that time, you didn't know what actually was the root cause of some of the issues you're experiencing. And you know, self-medicating with things like marijuana, which you know that now that it's legalized and it's becoming more you know used in the general public. Uh, and because I've been an advocate for marijuana for so long, uh, I'm never against it. But now I'm turning the leaf of you know we need a little bit more education. Because just like I had used and then started abusing it when I started feeling bad, I think a lot, especially males, young males too, you know, high school, adolescence, it, it, it fogs your mind and it ultimately inhibited me from getting to where I needed to be because I needed to numb myself and the antidepressants mm-hmm. weren't working. So like I said, I'd been on and off a couple different antidepressants and in between those antidepressants, I was smoking weed and I was yeah. self-medicating with it. And yeah. for myself, you know, it's, it, you know, the, the six years, like, you know, you kind of bring that up and I'm someone who went to medical sciences. I'm now on my way to be a doctor. And so I'm come from a family that's chiropractors and health focused. Yeah. And it still took me six years. I, it's, you know, yeah. and not to say that people, it's going to take that long, not at all. But for someone like me, who you think, oh, medical, this guy should know this or that. No, yeah. we don't. We really don't. No, it's so true. And, you know, there's so much, like, I could talk to you for hours, really. Like, I know we, whenever we meet up, we all, first of all, whenever we meet up, we always get nachos. Like, that's always we our always thing. Get nachos. We always get nachos. We share yeah. it. Oh, I thought you said me. I'm like, hey, you're no, part no, of this no. too. <laughs> and chicken, ch- chicken wings too. A lot chicken of the time wings. We, get- we haven't had chicken wings in a while, but chicken wings and beer. And next time, next time. Next time. <laughs> and uh, we just like always can chat about this for hours. And what I find interesting about that is, um, like you said, you have healthcare <laughs> professionals in in your family in my family in your family and uh you know i know you and you come from a good background you come from uh resources you come from a support system that's there for you so can you imagine people that grow up without any of those things and like you said it took you six years to be officially diagnosed and um it's it's i mean the people that don't have those resources or in communities that may not 
talk about mental health. And on top of that, being a male where a lot of males are told to suppress their emotions, there's just yep. so much to unpack here. And I think that even it ties back to like sports. Like I remember you telling me your journey in high school with sports and concussions. I don't know if you want to touch on that here, but that's a whole other topic as well. And what you were told with that and the surgery that you had to go through and, you know, stemming back to, to um, wanting to play football and yep. growing up. And that was, you know, a path that you were taking and then having an injury where it took that away. I find yeah. that journey really interesting too, if you care to share it. I'd love to. And, you know, concussions, you know, that's kind of where my journey started. And I think, you know, with uh, CTE, which is chronic traumatic encephalitis. Um, and so the, you know, that's the, a lot of football players now, and they're talking about how at 55 years old, they dissect their brains and the brain's the brain of an 80 year old. And it's because wow. of all those micro traumas. And so concussions are rampant and especially, you know, both males and females are, you know, prone to concussions. Um, but I think, like you said, males are kind of like, there's that stoicism, which is kind of that stern notion emotion that we're kind of, you know, intuitively, subconsciously ingrained in us that men aren't supposed to cry, men aren't allowed to show emotions and that I think, you know, when some when a, uh, a boy, you know, because I was 14 years old, I got a concussion, my grew up, my dad was a football wrestler from US, USA. So I grew up wanting to play football my whole life. Yeah. And uh, similar, like a lot of hockey players, you know, they get the concussions. And their community, their friends are all a part of the hockey team. And now they get a concussion and they get told that they're not allowed to be about a part of that community anymore. Or yeah. not that they can't be with those friends, but they're not going to go to the games. They're not going to have that same time. So not only is the concussion affecting the neurochemistry and science is still trying to understand how it's affecting all that. But I see it, and the big part is how it affects the social, emotional, even spiritual aspect of our health, where I'm a young boy who loves hockey, for instance, and all my friends are on the hockey team, and now yeah. I've had three concussions in a row. I'm told that my next one could be it. You know, wow. I can't play hockey. And then what will happen is I'm going to be taken out, and there's, you know, you're – 50%, 50% more likely to have anxiety, depressive symptoms after concussions. And I think a lot of that anxiety, depression comes from being taken out of something you love. It's almost like an identity crisis occurring yeah. when you're 14, 15, you know, young 20s, whatever it is, you have been going this route, you're, you know, you, you're going to go to the NHL, this and that, yeah. that's your dream. And now you need to completely shift gears and that's hard. And I think especially it does go back to like men not being able to express their emotions or talk about it that, you know, not saying it doesn't affect females because of course it does. But, right. you know, today we're talking about men's mental health and it yep. definitely because they don't talk about it as much, it can have a huge impact on that social, emotional kind of like being taken away com community and being 15 years old and having to ask yourself, who am I? Which yeah. Many people don't do until they're 50 or maybe they don't do that their whole life. Yeah. And it's, yeah. and, and that takes a toll on the mental health. So to me, it's like, there's the neurochemistry, there's the biology and stuff, but I think why there's the statistic of, you know, you're so much more likely to get anxiety or depression after the, the, the uh, concussion. I think it's mainly due to kind of like having almost like an identity crisis at that point. 
Yeah. And I think that it goes either way, either they get pulled from the sport, which, you know, I would hope is happening more as we learn more about concussions or they're being told, you know, toughen, toughen up, you know, get your head back in the game. Which is scary, which is very scary. Taylor, I'm thankful for you sharing your story and your journey, your successes, as well as your struggles. And I'm also thankful that you're here with us today because you've dealt with a lot. But the main thing is, is that you've gotten through it and that you want to use your experiences for good. And I think that for the second half of the podcast, I would love to focus on that, like the moving forward and how we can make an impact, especially since we're talking about men's mental health, how do we go about making sure that we're there for them and making sure that they feel like they're supported? I know for myself, um, you know, having a strong feminine figure and both males, females, however you identify, we can all have feminine energy and we all have it the the yin and the yang which is a little traditional chinese medicine that's some stuff i'm studying we're not going to get into that but we can all have that feminine energy where we're intuitive we can hold space and my mother did that for me i think her encouraging me to go talk to someone about it and i think that's an important first step because no matter how much we want to help the loved ones around us we're not all psychologists we are not medical professionals these people go to school for a reason for years so it's about trying your best to reduce the stigma in that person who's in your life that you think may need to talk about some things or maybe suppressing some things doing your best to hold space for them Mm non-judgmental and encourage them to talk to a professional about it and i think that's a great first step because at the end of the day you know, something you kind of said about like alcoholism. And I, you know, as a, you know, soon to be medical professional, I definitely want to deal with like, you know, mass, like uh, toxic masculinity, all, all the things that kind of like, I think contribute to us suppressing things and then using things such as alcohol to keep it suppressed. Right. So my answer to what can we do is we need to try and unsuppress them or (laughs) don't know if I just made up a word there, but you know, release those emotions and how to do that is to contact and get into contact with a medical professional. And, um, you know, sometimes psychologists can be expensive, you know, private psychologists, but for instance, the psychiatrist I saw, I saw, um, I got referred to from a doctor. So because I was referred to from a medical doctor under OHIP, I see the psychiatrist. uh, She she works out of St. Joe's Hospital, but it's covered under my OHIP, which is amazing, right? I have hour-long conversations and stuff. And, you know, everyone comes from different socioeconomic backgrounds. So sometimes we don't all have a $500 a year private insurance with our companies that we work for, or there's no one in our family with that. And sometimes psychologists can cost up to, you know, mine was like $150 an hour. And, you know, when you're going through something and now money comes into it, that can even add to the guilt and all that. But you know, there are avenues, you know, if you get referrals through your medical doctors that, you know, walk-in clinics that you can see for free and talking to them about like, you know, I think maybe this, my loved one or this and that. And there's even programs that, uh, you know, on the phone calling them and kind of getting 
you know, maybe even going to the psychologist with your partner or person in your life with the, for the first yeah. time kind of thing, you know, because, and I encourage that if you are someone who is supporting someone to talk to a medical professional yourself about that, you know, yeah. we need to look out for ourselves at the end of the day. And so, and they may be able to give you some good advice too, of maybe, you know, how to get, encourage the person that you're worried or caring about try you know that medical professional that you start seeing maybe could help you on that journey right. so i think that that's key is if you can get them professional help somehow and it's good to know that there are some free resources i think there's still a long way that we can go even in canada to yep. support that because you know i've heard from people who have mental health struggles who have said like similar to you that they have you know free support maybe through ohip but to get that free support through ohip they went through a crisis and then yep. that crisis admitted them to maybe a hospital and then through that hospital, they got help. So it's yes. like, maybe there should be, I mean, not maybe, there should be more. There should be. There should be more resources <laughs> so that you don't even have to get to that crisis in the first place. And uh, I mean, that that's a whole other topic in and of itself with the Canadian healthcare system and how mental health, there, there could be more resources than, you know, man, like we could talk about this for hours. I know, I know, like literally. Um, so it's one of those things where like, there's still a long way to go, but I'm glad that there are programs and resources out there. And I yep. think that's the biggest thing is to try to get connected to help as soon as you can, right? And realize that it's a problem, but it may not be a problem that you should be blaming yourself. It could be the wiring of your brain, right? Exactly. And, 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 you may have had a concussion and it changed the neurochemistry in your brain. Now the hormones, the synapses, signaling, electrons firing, you know, the, the difference, like it is different, you know, the action yeah. potential, the cells talking to one another. And that's the science behind it. And then we interpret it in our body as maybe anxiety or depression or whatever. And then that is, you know, we think we're, we're, we think something's wrong with us and it's yeah. no, that's normal. Your mind has the ability to go into those areas, unfortunately, but that's life. And it's just about recognizing, become, becoming cogniz cognizant about it and uh, yeah, reaching, reaching out for help. Definitely. And I think the other important thing is that a lot of these treatment plans aren't just prescribing medication and that may not be the cure all for most people it's a combination of like talk therapy as well yep. and for some people like you said it could be um you know their diet it could be their schedule it could be doing yoga it could be finding some kind of purpose so i'd love for you to talk a little bit more about that and even the role that um you know naturopathic medicine can play uh with that as well yeah and i mean for the listeners that may know a bit or maybe nothing at all about naturopathic medicine i always like to describe it as kind of like a you know medical doctor slash psychologist therapist because we are privatized um similar to like a psychologist uh, many psycho or like a physiotherapist chiropractors and so we sit down with you probably the first intake is about 75 minutes so it's different than going into your walk-in clinic where you're in and out and yeah. you know i always say it's not one or the other. We're all healthcare practitioners. We all have our strengths. We all have different tools in our toolkit. And I believe in patient-centered patient -centered care. So, you know, if someone comes in my office with a broken arm, I'm not going to stick needles in them. I'm going to send them to Emerge. 
you know, I, I had my concussion and I had brain surgery afterwards. Thank God our medical system is where it is today because I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that. So I, I a hundred percent love and appreciate Western medicine and all it does. But I think that there is, you know, to alternative holistic medicine where as naturopaths, we try to look at not just the physical, but the mind, the emotional, the spiritual aspects of health and how it affects. But I think the one thing that I'd like to focus on is diet. And I'm going to get a bit into the science and I'm going to make it as digestible as possible. But in terms of <laughs> digestible, di- I see what you digestible. Did yeah, mm-hmm. because we're going to yeah. talk about the gut. <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, and that is something, there's a lot of research coming out to treat concussions by focusing on the gut because we have different nervous systems in our body and we have the autonomic peripheral and, you know, we have our enteric nervous system, which is the nervous system of our gut. And as we know, there's all these bacteria and microbes in our gut. Like there, they're a part of us and they are different entities and they have a mind of their own that that enteric system is connected to our central nervous system which goes to our brain so our brain gut there's a lot the hype you know hype word nowadays is gut brain connection but it is a hundred percent there's science there's like research behind it that shows that usually when we are eating things in our diet that are pro-inflammatory certain things like egg and dairy if you're lactose intolerant uh you can just search up pro-inflammatory foods if you want um and sometimes that inflammation you know makes our gut scream and now that nervous system in our gut is going to be screaming and to our brain oh wow and and it also goes the other way where sometimes when we have anxiety depression it can affect the gut and then we have problems digesting and getting in the nutrients that we need to feel good, have energy, you know, because a lot of mental health, you'll have lethargic, you know, you'll be lazy and you may not be able to be digesting all of those things. A lot of what we do as naturopathic doctors is when we sit down with you for the 75 minutes, we're asking everything, obviously, just like when you go into a medical doctor for the very first time, you have to fill in, past history, family yeah. history. We have all that. We, you have to do that for us too. So we get all that beforehand. And then when we sit down with you, maybe we're going to ask you about that. You know, you'll probably write like, what's your chief concern? Why are you here? Like what yeah. brought you here? My gut, this or that, whatever. Yeah. And a lot of the time it's funny because like we may get to that, but sometimes it kind of just becomes like a psychology session where maybe they just needed an open, non-judgmental space to talk. And yeah. we're, go- we're gonna get to the diet, we can help with that. Because you know, we are study a lot of nutrition, that's a big yeah. part of our program. And so but you know, many times when you see a naturopath, it can it can seem like it's going off, but it's all going to come together because we want to ask about we want to ask about the social aspects of your life, we want to yeah. ask about, you know, even you know, your work, your family, anything that could like, be causing stress, which nowadays everything can. Yeah. So we, and, and, and yes, the, you know, we want to get to the root cause that is like our goal. And also, you know, this is something a professor told me in first year and I loved it. We are in business to be out of business. 
meaning you know remember you telling me this yeah this is really interesting because you wouldn't think that anyone would ever advise you as someone who may run their own practice one day to think like that so explain that to the listeners well so i have you know the six naturopathic oaths one of which is to doctor as teacher okay so as a healthcare practitioner, I want to educate my patients to become self-sufficient so they don't have to come back to me. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe, and let's say you work for a company and you have $500 private insurance and it costs $150 an hour to see a naturopath. Now, I hope that that naturopath can do, can literally make you self-sufficient in three appointments, a whole year, maybe once every four months, I think that's possible. Wow. You know, proper education. And then why you become successful because of that and you want people to not come back is because then they're going to tell people to go to you. Exactly. And and spread the word. So it's the philosophy of being in business to go out of business, but you're never going to go out of business if you do that because that means you're helping people. And when you help people, they're going to bring in their family they're going to, you'll have referrals and stuff. But I love that. I thought that was beautiful. I thought that was really important. We're not here to take your money. We're here to try and make you as independent in your own health and maybe open up your views, broaden your views, make science digestible for you, you know, make food more digestible for you. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, I mean, that's kind of like, you know, in terms of, other things other than getting help and you know talk therapy there's something called cbt which is cognitive yeah. behavioral therapy yeah and there's a lot of research that shows that the best treatment for mental health is a combination of you know proper prescription like prescription drugs plus cognitive behavioral therapy so you know them together kind of thing and then it's good to throw in a healthy diet with that it's good to yeah. go out for your walks you know, let's get in nature some more. Let's get off our phones a bit. Let's get off of social media. Let's stop looking at negative news. There's so many lifestyle tweaks. And, you know, at the end of the day, I kind of see myself, what I want to become is like a lifestyle coach, right? It's, that's, that's kind of like my goal as a doctor is to become that kind of lifestyle Mm -hmm. coach. Yeah, that's amazing. I could totally see you doing that and doing TED Talks or doing some kind of speeches that are going to be educating people. And uh, yeah, no, that, that's, that's great. And um, it's interesting that you mentioned CBT because I, I've opened up to listeners before about this, I believe, but I've actually gone uh, to therapy and had cognitive behavioral therapy and I found it so beneficial. And that's the thing is like- cool. I would suggest to anyone that they go to, you know, a couple of sessions with a therapist, whether they think they have an issue or not, because like the things that I learned working with a psychologist and working, um, you know, via the, um, the method of cognitive behavioral therapy, you know, like even like listing out the negative thoughts that I was feeling. How long did those negative thoughts last? And this is just one of the treatment methods and yep. maybe I'm not describing it properly, but this is how I remember it, is listing yep. it out, what triggered that thought. And even just being cognizant of that, I found that the negative thoughts that I was putting on myself started to 
you know, disappear. And it wasn't happening as much just because I was tracking it and realizing when you actually look at the root cause of what started that, you can realize when you start having a negative thought that you can grab it right then and there and throw it out or have, uh, have thoughts that um, disprove that negative thought, you know, have yeah. things that you're working on in your life or the accomplishments that you're doing or the ways that you're working on yourself. And I found that I think I went to three sessions with this psychologist and it changed my life really, because I started to realize like, you know, I have the power in myself to be able to manage this. And sometimes you're right. Sometimes that is an additional medication. Sometimes that is um, some kind of additional, you know, meeting with a naturopath or, you know, it doesn't have to be a one size fits all. Like for me, talking to someone and him telling me the different methods that I could use to manage, you know, negative thoughts yeah. or being anxious, that helped me a lot. So that's the thing with even being able to see someone for a session or two. I don't think there's any harm to it, in my opinion. You know, look up reviews, make sure the person is <laughs> well respected. You you wanna find and you wanna find someone that resonates with you. There's like yeah. you know, there's lists of psychologists and you can and you can look through it, you know, it's like Yelp reviews and yeah, yeah. <laughs> find someone that works for you a hundred percent. Totally. So to wrap things up, I would love for you to, uh, and I would love to have you on the podcast again. I think we are going to have you on, um, talking about, you know, different topics as well, but you know, for men's mental health specifically, what advice do you have for men in general who are maybe brought up, like you said, in a stoic way and not to show emotion like how can you get past that especially when it's ingrained in you and you and i talked about this i just thought about this you and i've talked about how even some women and this is this yeah. is in the straight community with men and women dating but some women don't find it attractive to see a man crying or a man emotional i've i've known people that have said that to me that oh he started crying about this and i don't know like i mean i want to be there for him but you know it was one of those things where maybe they're just starting to date someone and the person showed a little bit more emotion and it was like kind of a red flag in a way. So yeah. how do you manage this? Because, you know, for that guy in that situation, maybe he grew up with, uh, you know, parents that were like stoic or a dad that was stoic and was like, don't show your emotions, suck it up. And then maybe the one time he shows emotion to a girl, she backs off a little bit. So it's like the cycle, right? So it's like, how do we yeah. move past that? You know, it's a loaded question, but yeah. my in, intuitive and first answer, and it's hard to get there, but like men need to cry. Men yeah. need to start releasing their emotions. And I know that, you know, even though I cried a lot as a kid, I had a lot of emotions. And like in the past couple of years when I depressed and stuff, I stopped crying. And you know, recently when I kind of like open up and more emotions like that crying is a release of those suppressed emotions. And also yeah. something that you touched upon in terms of like, and it's beautiful what you said about cognitive behavioral therapy. I think it's so good to have anecdotal personal stories of, hey, it worked for me. I'm not telling you to do it, but this yeah. is what worked for me. And I think yeah. that's important. But something you touched upon was kind of like digesting emotions and this is something my Reiki master taught me is that when we suppress emotions, we're not dealing with it. If we feel fear or anger, we need to feel it. We shouldn't suppress it. We should recognize it and then maybe go into why or how we're feeling it. But it's about being okay with that emotion and digesting it. 
right? Yeah. And so it's, it starts with that. But the real beginning for men is to start getting that emotional release. Now, what do you need to do that? I know for me, I need a very, very safe, non-judgmental space. Even though I'm an emotional guy and I'm telling, I'm telling you guys I need to cry, I still find it so hard to cry in front of someone, even the ones closest to me. Yeah. And even, even when I went to, you know, at our school, we have, we start, it's a three, it's a four year program in naturopathic college. The first three years is all school. The last year is like internship. And, you know, uh, we, I see the fourth years, you know, it's much cheaper because it's a teaching clinic. So it's cheaper for everyone. So I'll do a plug. Everyone come down to Robert Chad naturopathic clinic, <laughs> North York, Shepard and Leslie. It's like 48 bucks. If you're a student, it's like 18 you know, but you see a fourth year, someone like myself. And in those rooms, I feel comfortable. I was able to cry in front of my intern last year. However, when she would leave the room, I could cry more. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's, it's, it's hard for me to tell listeners like who, where they can find that. But it's about trying to find a non-judgmental open space where you feel that you can start expressing those emotions and i'll be honest the best way to do it is to just cry so that's my tip of the day men need uh, to cry <laughs> i love that and, that may be the okay. podcast title men need men to cry need- <laughs> it's true and it is okay i know it is oh, okay. i love that and, and yeah. we need to tell ourselves because the stigma everything from the subconscious you know toxic masculinity that exists and is subconsciously ingrained in us we don't think it's okay. And like you said, you know, in the straight community, some women, they have that subconscious mentality also in them. And yeah. not, it's not bad. It's all men have it as well. And so, yeah. you know, it's all about us becoming more self-aware, recognizing that, oh, maybe I am a little biased towards this. Maybe I haven't been as open towards like the man in my life, wh- whoever, being open because my dad never showed emotions. Yeah. The males in my life never did it. So if I see someone do it, that's weird. So it's about, you know, asking ourselves, why do we have those, uh, those thoughts? A lot of cognitive behavioral therapy has to do with mindfulness. And that's just about being one, looking inwards and being mindful of I'm feeling this. Why am I feeling it? And so that, that is kind of a lot of like the root of like can get you to like, okay, now I recognize that maybe I do have a bit of stigma inside me and maybe that's stopping me from going to see a psychologist or that's stopping me from releasing these emotions and just being okay with crying. Yeah. And hey, if, if there's a movie that makes you cry, watch it. Even if you don't know what emotions you're releasing, that crying is good. So if you need something like a movie or you know something, that's going to make you cry because it's hard. It's like, I can't just sit here and start crying if I think about things. Yeah. You know, maybe like there's certain things. And if you cry in a movie, yeah, you're crying. It's the movie. It's sad, but you're also crying because you probably have stuff that you're holding back and your body is using this movie as an excuse to get over that stigma. Yeah. So, Hey, if you need to watch a really sad romantic movie, uh, that's going to make you cry. That's where we can start. (laughs) Yeah. Or even a sad song, you know, having a sad, sad playlist. Perfect. I've definitely done that. That's like, oh yeah, that's great and, too. And yeah, that, and and that's healing. That is healing, you know. And men shouldn't be afraid to have a sad playlist on their on yeah. their Spotify. Yeah, they shouldn't be afraid to, you know, we 
you know, all the kinds of musics we listen to and stuff. But, you know, again, men, maybe because they want to seem tough and strong, they don't want, you know, more sad or emotional type music on their Spotify. But, hey, you know, there is an emotional awakening sometimes with music. We all feel it. Why do you think it's ingrained in our culture? So... 100% music can also definitely help express those emotions so I like this I think I think we covered a lot and thanks for joining us again and I think that your insights are really valuable I know that the listeners will find them valuable as well and I hope that they'll share it with their friends and family in their lives who you know could benefit from listening to something like this I'm glad we touched on this topic and you know, is there any way that if listeners want to, you know, get in touch with you or say thank you for your thoughts or like if you want to share your Instagram or yeah. your social media, it's really up to you. Now would be a time that you could do that. My, yeah, my Instagram and my Facebook are both just Taylor Blick. So T-A-Y-L-O-R and my last name is B as in boy, L-I-X-T. I mean, my Facebook and Instagram are both open. You know, you can message me. I'll try, I'll message back for sure. So I'm very open to getting messages. If I don't get back to you right away, nothing against you. I will message you in time. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, for any listeners, uh, even if they want to share something with me, I'm, I'm here to listen. I'm, I'm here to be, Uh be, be an ear, but I don't, I don't mind at all. The reason why I have this on my sleeve and I'm doing what I'm doing is because I want to be an open book. I'm trying to lead by example a bit yeah. to just kind of uh, show people that it's okay for men to cry. It's okay for men to show their emotions. And uh, yeah, we need, we, need, we need to talk about this stuff a bit more. So it was awesome being on here and getting the opportunity to talk about it because as you can tell, it's a passion of mine for sure. It's what yeah. I you know, want to help and do in the future and stuff. And uh, yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to our next one because like you said, we get together and we chat for hours. So, you know, <laughs> and, and, now, and now the listeners can get a bit of insight into oh, those yeah. chats where we oh, I know. just go off on tangent. So yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. And thanks, Taylor. And again, yeah. the listeners know and any new listeners, you can follow the Is This Adulthood podcast on Twitter, ITA underscore podcast on Twitter, or Is This Adulthood on Instagram. And we'd love to get your topic ideas and maybe any topics that you'd love to hear Taylor and I talk about in the future because, yeah, I love this dynamic. I thought it went really well. And thanks again, Taylor, for joining. I appreciate it. Awesome, Ryan. Appreciate the opportunity. Grateful for you as a friend. And, uh, Namaste, which means the light in me sees the light in you. Namaste.